Amen. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. There we go. How many of you liked waking up this morning and being able to see the mountains? Yeah, that smoke is finally starting to dissipate and leave. It was such a blessing to wake up and see those beautiful mountains here in Montana. So, um, hey, before, uh, before we really get into the message, I want to say a special thank you to each and every one of you who attended the 201 Spiritual Maturity class last Sunday night. Because it was so awesome to walk in that room and see every single seat filled. And as a pastor, that is always encouraging to see people hungry for the Lord, seeing people hungry to want to grow in their faith. So my hope and prayer is that when we have the 301 class next month, we'll be so full that we'll have to come in here and not only have class, but we'll just have church, too. Yes. So 301 is coming. So thank you to all of you who signed up and did the 201. So I want to do something special right now. I want to uh, pray for Noah who sits in the back. Some of you know him. He runs our tech stuff in the back. He's all the one behind the computers, the live stream, all the slides that you see up here. He is an incredible blessing to me personally, but not only that, he's an incredible blessing to this church. We went through discipleship together, so I got a special bond with Noah. Noah, I love you, man. I can't see you because you're hiding behind the computer, but I know you're there. (laughs) So I'd like all of us to extend a hand. We're going to pray for him. He's going in for surgery Tuesday. So he's going to be out for a while. So if you'll just pray with me. Father, we thank you that Noah is just a, a servant of God. He has a servant's heart. And we just ask, Lord, that you would bless him, that you'd prepare him emotionally, that you'd prepare him physically. Lord God, that you would bless those doctors who will be treating him, the nurses that will be caring for him, that his body will respond to the treatment that's needed. And, Lord, that he would be fully healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that. And also... I want to speak directly into the camera for just a minute and say, Ernie, if you're watching right now, we love you, man. I love you. And it was such a blessing to see you yesterday and to just be able to jab back and forth at you and to see that sense of humor that you have. So if you're watching today, just know that everyone here is praying for you, praying for Tony, and we stand firm behind that. So we love you, man. So, you know, one day last week, I was traveling home from having been in town, and I turned on the radio And I heard a uh, Pastor Tony Evans speaking a message, and he was using this illustration about jellyfish. And it really resonated with me. I'm like, jellyfish, man, that's cool. I can use that. And, you know, jellyfish, they kind of just go with the flow, don't they? Wherever the current takes them, they just kind of float along with it, don't they? And a lot of people are like that. A lot of people just go with the flow. They just float along with whatever's popular in the world, whatever feels good. So they're like jellyfish. And, uh, you know, the, the reason behind that is it's easy. It's easy to just go with whatever feels good, isn't it? There's no risk of confrontation. There's no risk of offending anyone when you're just going with the flow. Because it's easy to go with the popular part of the world. But have you ever tried to swim upstream? Anyone ever tried to do that? Swim upstream? Isn't it hard? Not only is it hard, it can be dangerous to swim against the current. But listen, if you're going to follow Jesus you're going to have to swim against the current of the world. And listen, another thing about jellyfish, they don't have a backbone. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, they don't have any bones in their body at all. They don't. And unfortunately, there are far too many people like that in the world. They don't have a spiritual backbone. They won't stand for anything. Listen, church, 
The church needs men and women who will not only stand out, but they'll stand up and they'll stand firm for what's right and for Jesus Christ. So listen, don't be a jellyfish. Have a backbone. Stand up. Stand firm. Now, I'm really encouraged by what's going on in California with Pastor John MacArthur, right, and Grace Community Church. Some of you have been following what's going on there, but I am so pumped up about his willingness to stand firm. Some of you know that the government and health officials over there have done all this that they can to try to shut their church down. And last Thursday, uh, they went to court, and the judge ruled against Pastor John MacArthur and said, you cannot have service indoors. Well, guess what happened on last Sunday? They had church indoors. And they packed the service out. I love it. I love it to see people standing firm for Jesus because we are to obey God rather than man. Yeah. You know, Pastor John said, obviously this is not constitutional, but more importantly, it goes against the will of the Lord of the church. And you know something else he said Thursday in an interview? He was talking about how he had gotten a letter that threatened to him that if he did not cease and desist, they were going to put him in jail, potentially, for up to six months. And you want to know what his response was to that? He was essentially saying, bring it on, put me in jail, and I'm going to start a prison ministry. (laughs) Yeah, that's what he said. He said that next to Jesus, his next person that he looked up to was the Apostle Paul. And we know the Apostle Paul went went through some crazy persecution, spent a lot of time in prison. So Pastor John is willing to stand firm. I love his willingness to stand firm and obey God. This world needs more people like that. So today I'm going to talk to you about the joy of standing firm. Now turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Now if you don't have your Bibles with you, that's okay. We'll, We'll be going through the scriptures here up on the screen. And we're going to spend our time together focusing on verses 1 through 9. Now, it's verse 1 that kind of sets the stage for the entire message. And the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord. Now, this text begins with the word therefore. Therefore is a conjunction that joins Paul's thoughts to what he's already said. Now, I can't possibly rehash everything that we've been learning in this study. Those of you that have been here, you know that we've been in this study for quite some time. This is lesson number 14 in the book of Philippians. So I don't have time to go through everything that uh, we've been we've been talking about here. But Paul is connecting back. And if I could give a good summary of that, it comes from verse six of chapter one, where it says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So Paul is talking to Christians here. And as we've learned, you are not a Christian because of what you do. It's because of what Jesus has already done, right? That's why we're Christians. It's by your faith through his incredible and almighty grace that we are saved. And nothing can take that away from you. So if you connect that back to our text, Paul knows that his audience understands the gospel, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And since we know when we believe this, we know, the God, we know that what work God has started in us, he ultimately will finish. Therefore, stand firm in the Lord. No matter what crazy circumstances you might be going through, we are to stand firm in the Lord because what he starts, he finishes. 
Now, our strength comes from the in the Lord part. He didn't just stop at stand firm as if that was it, did he? He said, stand firm in the Lord. That's where we draw our strength. If we're going to try to stand firm any other way without Jesus, without being in the Lord, we will ultimately fail. Did you hear me? If you're not in the Lord standing firm, you will ultimately fail. You must stand firm with him. And listen, you can't be in the world and in the Lord at the same time. To be in the Lord, you have to put your trust. You have to put your faith. You have to put all that you are, everything that you are, into the hands of Jesus. And to give you an illustration about this, you can think back to Noah, right? God gave Noah the charge of building the ark before he was going to flood the earth. He said, I want you to build this ark. And so what did Noah do? He built the ark. And then Noah had a choice. The choice was this. He could either get into the ark and live, or he could remain in the world and die. That's the choice we have today. There is no middle ground. So the question you have to ask yourself is, am I in the Lord? Or am I playing church? Am I trying to be both in the world and in the Lord at the same time? Because there's no such thing. You have to make a choice. And that choice is either eternal life or eternal death. It's heaven or it's hell. And yes, it's that serious. Stand firm in the Lord. Now, another reason why we've got to stand firm in the Lord comes from Ephesians, or excuse me, comes from uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that Pastor covered last week where it says we're citizens of heaven. So if we're a child of God and we've accepted Lord Jesus into our hearts, our citizenship isn't here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Okay? Therefore, we're to stand firm in the Lord. Now, to get a better grasp on this particular text, on what we mean by stand firm, Okay, we could use a concordance. How many of you are familiar with a Bible concordance? Some of you? Okay. This is something you're going to want to have in your repertoire, right? Now, I like using blueletterbible.org. Some of you that were in my class last Sunday, I told you about blueletterbible.org, which is a powerful resource. It's a concordance. But if you're old school and you like the old three to five inch thick, big giant Strong's concordance that weighs like 20 pounds and that when you open it, you need a magnifying glass to see all the text in here. Well, that's okay. You can use that. I'm just poking fun at y'all. But some of you who like, uh, like a computer experience or a digital experience, you could use blueletterbible.org. And what you do is you just simply put the passage of Scripture that you're studying in there, and then it'll break that verse down word by word, and you can look at uh, the New Testament for Greek and the Old Testament for Hebrew. Now, if your eyes are starting to glaze over and you're mind is starting to wander because you're like, man, he just said Greek and Hebrew. I am not into that. I don't like that stuff at all. That's okay. I want you to stay with me because this is incredibly powerful. A concordance is an awesome tool for you. So I would love for you to get this, right? You can use and find the concordance to understand how that word in the Greek is called stako for stand firm. It means to persevere, to stand fast, to hold our ground. You could use that to find other scriptures. And I'm going to quickly go through a few of these to give you a better grasp of what this word means, okay? So if we look at Philippians 1, verse 27, you'll notice here we don't have to go very far. Paul has used this word in this very letter to the city of Philippi before. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. 
So the whole picture we're getting here is unity. Notice how strongly Paul is speaking here, right? In one spirit, in one mind. In other words, there's complete unity in the body of Christ. And so what are we fighting for? It says we're fighting for the faith of the gospel. That's what the text is saying here. So we're to stand firm in unity, fighting together for the faith of the gospel. In other words, we hold our ground. We don't, do, we don't let anything divide us because it's the gospel that unites us. And then if I move on to Galatians 5.1, it says it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Paul again says to stand firm, to persevere. Christ has already set us free. So we are no longer slaves to sin anymore. So there's a pattern developing here in our definition of stako, to stand firm. And that pattern is simply we're to hold our ground. We're to hold on to what we've learned. We're to hold on to what we already have. Paul speaks even stronger to us like we're soldiers in God's army, and we are, aren't we? If you've accepted Jesus, you know you're a soldier. You've enlisted in God's army. And he says, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. In other words, we're to be immovable. Do not waver, do not give up, do not lose ground. And then in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, he says, With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you, both in person and by letter. You see, now you can start to get the picture. The emphasis here is holding the ground, keeping a strong grip, not letting go, not giving up. All right. Now, if we put this all together back to our text, Paul says, therefore, he's linking back, meaning what God starts, he will finish. And because we're citizens of heaven, we are to stand firm in the Lord. All right. Now, that's awesome right there. I did all of that by just using my concordance. Now, if I were to speak to you personally about what's happened in my own life, about standing firm, I had a point in time where I was in Florida and God called me to come back to Montana. I was working for the Florida State University. I had an incredible job. I'm like, what? I mean, yeah, I always did want to get back to Montana, but I'm like, God, I think you'd line up a job for me before you'd come call me to come back to Montana, right? No, he was calling me to leave everything I had there. I'd been there three years and come back to Montana. That was crazy. So I stepped out in faith and resigned. No plan, no money, no nothing. And I said, I'm going to Montana. Cashed out my 401k and we moved back to Montana. That was crazy. But I was standing firm in faith, believing when God challenged me and said, do you trust me or not? And I went, yes, I do, Lord, because everything I have comes from you anyway. And here I am today. Praise God. I'm back in Montana. And God not only took care of the job situation, he gave me a better job. I love my job. And not only that, he gave me two jobs. I got the job here at the church, and I got my job in the secular world. I got both of them. God is that good. So we've got to stand firm in the Lord. Whew, I got way off track here. Man. Man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Okay, so God, Paul has told us what we are to do. He said to stand firm. Now he's going to talk to us about how we do that. These next eight verses, he's going to tell us how we stand firm in the Lord. Now, before I get into that, before I get into this verse, let me just pause for a minute and remind you of how serious this is about standing firm. Okay? We have an enemy out there 
And this enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5.8 warns us that we are to stay alert, to be sober, to be vigilant, that we are to watch out for who? Our great enemy, the devil. And the Bible names him. All right? You've got to name your enemy, and you've got to fight against it. And the devil is our enemy. It says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus says in John 8.44 that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He hates the truth. He hates it. And there's no truth in him. And he is the father of lies. The book of Revelation describes him as the one who deceives the whole world. So we have an enemy. We have a great enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates the truth. He deceives the whole world. He's prowling around looking for who he can devour. That is our enemy. That is who we're fighting against. He's the leader behind every evil in this world. And we're to stand firm against him. We are to stand firm in the Lord no matter the cost. So if we move on in our text here, we'll finally get to this verse. All right, Paul says, this is, he's starting out with how we can start to stand firm. He says, now I appeal to you, Iodia and Syntyche. took me some practice to say those names. I'm just saying. I had to look that up because I'm like, y'all, I don't know how to say that. So he says, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life. So isn't this interesting? The very first thing that Paul tells us to do when he's talking about how to stand firm in the Lord is to settle your disagreements. If you want to experience joy, then you're going to have to settle disagreements. That's your first blank there if you've got your hand out. Now, we know these two women here were Christians. We know that because we can see from the text that their names were written in the book of life. And only those who profess their allegiance to Jesus are the names that are written in the book of life. That's it. Okay? So we don't know what this disagreement is, but we know that it's serious enough that Paul is writing to these women to get this thing settled. Now, it mushroomed into such a big deal. We don't know. Were they arguing over the color of carpet in the church? I don't know. Could be. What could it have been? Who, who knows and who cares? The problem is get it settled is what Paul is saying here. He's even telling a mediator to go get this settled. That's how serious it is. Now, regardless of who it was, because we don't know who the true partner was, not even important. Regardless of who it was, get the disagreement settled because the body of Christ is supposed to operate in complete unity. We are supposed to operate that, like that. And it's amazing to me to see how easily offended people in the church can get. Listen, we should not even waste our time fighting each other when we have an enemy out there that we all should be fighting together against. Yes, absolutely. Paul knows this, and I bet that's why he says the first thing that he tells us to do in standing firm is to settle your disagreement. Now, settling your disagreement, if you don't do it, it's going to create division, and it weakens the body of Christ. So if you've got a disagreement with someone, please go and get this settled. Make it right. Forgive. Talk it out. Get a mediator like Paul's talking about here if you have to, but get it settled. Now listen, Paul didn't say stand firm as if it all depends on you, did he? He said stand firm in the Lord. That's where your strength comes from. The Lord doesn't want us fighting each other. 
So humble yourself and settle your disagreement. Now, when I say settle your disagreement, I'm not saying you always have to agree. I'm not saying that. Did you know that you can uh, disagree with someone and still love them? You absolutely can. You turn on the TV today and you watch about what happens when people disagree. What does is, what is the mainstream of the world do? They vilify the other person as if they're evil, right? Then they go around and gossip behind their back and talk about how bad they are. We don't do that in the body of Christ. We shouldn't do that anyway. We are to settle our disagreements. You can disagree with someone and still love them. I know when, when I was pastoring a church down in the Bitterroot, there was a disagreement. And it was so significant that I ultimately had to leave the church. I had to step down as pastor. It was, it was a big deal. And it cut me to the core. I tried settling that disagreement. Believe me, I did. But listen, it was so serious that if I would have stayed and tried to fight, it would have split the church. So I had to silently humble myself, step down, and move on. That was hard to do. My wife and I went back to the doors of that church. We dusted our feet onto the mat, just like the Word talks about, and we moved on. We had to. Sometimes you might have to do that in your life. And it's really hard. It's painful. It cuts to the core. But you can still love the people that you disagree with. Okay? You absolutely can. Now, I wouldn't be standing here today had I not stood firm in faith. Because, listen, the last thing I wanted to do was ever get in the pulpit again. I was like, I'm never preaching again. I never want to get up there. Because, man, when you're up here, there's a lot of people shooting daggers at you. I'm just saying. It's hard to be a pastor. (laughs) That's why so many are leaving the ministry every year. Because it's hard. We're human. We make mistakes. And I'm not saying that I'm admitting to that I didn't make a mistake down there. There's a lot more to that story. and It's not even important. It's just not that important. Listen, you've got to be willing to stand firm in your faith, in the Lord, no matter what the cost is. Okay, that's what I'm trying to convey here. And I'm so glad that I didn't listen to that noise, that lie from the enemy telling me I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not that. Because, amen, I'm here today and I am preaching the Word of God and I will continue to preach the Word of God until I die. Because God's called me to do that. No matter what man says and no matter what kind of negativity is spoken in against me in my life, this is what I'm supposed to be doing right here, speaking the truth to you. So, getting back to our thing here. <laughs> All right, so Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, this is where it's really going to get good. And if I get excited, I'm sorry because this is the passion that's within me. Because we are to rejoice in the Lord no matter what's going on. Okay? No matter what is going on, you can always rejoice. And if you can't rejoice, the reason is your perspective is wrong. Maybe you've got your perspective on what has happened to you or what has happened to someone that you love. But listen, the kind of joy that Paul is talking about here is he's not talking about your feelings. He's not even talking about your circumstances. The kind of joy he's talking about is Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. That's what he means when he says rejoice in the Lord. How do I know that? Well, here's why you can rejoice. I'm going to take you down the Romans road. The Romans road will bring you some joy. So lean in and listen to this. In Romans 3.23, the word says, For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have sinned. There is no one perfect on this earth. The only one that was perfect was Jesus. The rest of us are sinners. And we all fall short. And there's a need. There's a hole 
in your heart. And only God can fill that hole. You can shove all kinds of things in there that you want. You can put money in there. You can put possessions in there. You could put relationships in there. It doesn't matter what it is. You'll be found wanting unless you fill that void with Jesus. Okay? So there's a real need. Now what happens here, we continue down the road, is it says, for the wages of sin is death. That's where sin leads. It leads to spiritual death. Now, What's cool is right on the other side of that comma, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All right. So there is a need that we all have. If we continue down the road, God makes a way. There's provision for that need because the word says, but God, man, I'm going to pause there for a minute. But God, now all of us have some big old butts, don't we? I got but this, I got but that, I got but, 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 but. And God says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Woo, yeah, he died for us. He did. He didn't just shout from heaven his love, did he? He showed his love in the person of Jesus Christ, who was God's one and only son, who came to this earth, lived as a man, right? He was holy God, yet he was holy man. He lived a sinless, perfect, spotless life didn't he? And he willingly went to the cross for you and me because it was the only way for the wages of sin is death. And yet Jesus willingly went to the cross, paid that price for you and me. He substituted himself for you and me at the cross, shed his blood. He died there. Three days later, he rose again so that we might have eternal life. For whosoever believeth in me, right? Right? For whosoever believeth. Yes. John three sixteen. For whosoever believeth in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That whosoever, that includes you. So he didn't shout his Lord. He didn't shout his love as if he's some impersonal God. No, he came to this earth as a man and he showed it. Okay, so what's the result of that? All right, so we had a need. God provides. Now we can see the. Now we can see how we can receive that. All right, how do we receive this gift? That the Romans Road's talking about. Well, here it is. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved. Not if you're a good person. Not if you do all these works. No. You will be saved by your faith. Because it's by faith alone. That's how we receive it. Now, what's the result of that? Oh, this is good. Y'all with me? Is this reason to rejoice? Oh, yes, it is. So Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. Here, let me pause. The only way we're made right in God's sight is by what Jesus did for us. Otherwise, we're sin. So when Jesus died on the cross, now God's not looking at us and the sinner. He's looking at Jesus because of what Jesus did. That's what he's seeing. So we're made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. And then another result, 8-1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, you don't have to carry the guilt of your sin anymore. You don't have to wear that scarlet letter. You don't have to wear that big old heavy burden of sin any longer. You can thrust that at the feet of Jesus. That's the result. There's no condemnation. Now, we're going to end our path 
on the promise on the Romans road. Here it is. Deep breath, because this is so good. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons. Neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Woo! That is awesome right there. And that is worth rejoicing over, isn't it? Because that's what Paul is talking about here when he says rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I will say rejoice. Yeah, thank you. We rejoice because of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what happens in this life, you can always rejoice because of what Jesus has done. Now, we rejoice in the Lord always. And having this kind of perspective puts everything else in its place. Because nothing in this world can compare to what Jesus has done for you and for me. So rejoice in the Lord. And then Paul tells us, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. You can read about that in Galatians chapter 5. talks all about the fruits of the Spirit. But if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, this should be evident in your life. People ought to see this. It's a characteristic which should be obvious to all people. And that's what the word is saying here. It's to be made known to all men. That's Christians and non-Christians. And gentleness is when you're kind. It's when you're considerate. It's when you're tender-hearted. It's, it's when you're compassionate. It's when you're reasonable. It's when you're even-tempered. It's when you're merciful. It's when you're forgiving. You're patient. You're sweet-tempered. It's when you show an inner calm that is not negatively affected by the emotions of other people. It's when you, ta- when you maintain a peaceable spirit when you're criticized or misunderstood. In other words, you're not harsh with people. You don't explode on them. You don't lose your temper. You don't act selfishly. So Paul gives us a very good reason to let our gentleness be made known, be made known to all men. He says the Lord is at hand. Another translation would say the Lord is near. Now, for those of us who believe in Jesus and we have him in our heart, this means that we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. And therefore, the Holy Spirit hears every conversation we make. He sees every action that we make. And he is a guide and comforter in every situation that we face in life. So we are to be gentle because the Lord is at hand. So Paul tells us to stand firm in the Lord, and then he begins to tell us how. Settle your disagreements. That was in verses 2 and 3. Then he says, rejoice in the Lord. That was verse 4. And then he says, be gentle, verse 5. And now Paul is going to tell us that we need to pray about everything. Prayer is the key to standing firm in the Lord. So if you haven't been leaning in, now is the time to lean in because it's the key. That's how you stand firm is prayer. And he says it right here. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Paul makes it very clear here that we're not to worry about anything. And, you know, worrying is like a poison. 
And that poison will make you sick. It will cause you to get so fixated on what you're worrying about that you can't even see or think about anything else. And listen, the antidote for that poison is prayer. It's prayer. Instead of worrying, Paul says we are to pray about everything. And that means everything. Nothing. Hey, listen, nothing is too big for God. And listen, nothing is too small for him either. It's easy to think, oh, I'm not going to take that to God. It's not really a big deal. It's just this little thing. Yeah, that's what the enemy wants you to think. He wants you to think that your issue is so trivial and so insignificant that you shouldn't even trouble God with it. Listen, God's word says in 1 Peter 5, 7, that you are to give all your worries and cares to him. Why? Because he cares for you. Now, not some of them, not just the big ones. We're to give all our worries to God. Listen, everything we worry about is small to God anyway. There is nothing too big for him and there's nothing too small for him either. If he loved you enough to give his one and only son to die for you, he certainly cares enough about you and what you're worrying about. So take it to him in prayer. Now listen, Ephesians 3.20 says, God can do immeasurably more than anything you might ask or think. Other translations can say it like this. He can do exceedingly abundantly above or infinitely more than we might ever ask or think. Isn't that great? That's the kind of God we serve. So don't ever underestimate the power of prayer when you need to stand firm. We need to stop worrying and start praying. You want to stand firm in the Lord? Then pray. You want to worry less? Then pray more. If you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but. Yeah, but. You don't understand. Yeah, but my situation is different. Listen, there are no yeah, buts with God. There are no yabbits with God. Here's a verse you need to memorize. This is your homework. Matthew 6, 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Did you hear that? He will give you everything you need. Everything. Now notice it doesn't say he's going to give you everything you want, does it? He's not going to give you everything you want. But he will give you everything you need. You may be going through a really hard time in your life. Somebody you love may be battling it out right now. Listen, our God will provide everything you need. So stop worrying. Start praying. That's the kind of God we serve. He knows your needs before you even ask. He will give them to you. Okay? He will sustain you. That is a promise. So stop worrying. Now, if we look at the uh, end of verse 6 in this text, Paul says to tell God what you need and then thank him for all he has done. Thank him for all he has done. Listen, this is really, 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 really important. Okay, you leaning in now? This is really important. When you begin to thank God for all he has done, it will begin to melt away all the fear all the worry, and all of the doubt that you may have over the issue that you're worrying about. Because when you thank him for all he's done, it will take your mind off of the thing that you're worrying about, and it will remind you of all the times that God has came through for you. Now, when you take the time to thank God, 
you are disarming the enemy. Did you know that? You are disarming the enemy. You're taking the power of worry away from him. And listen, it's one of his chief weapons. The enemy, his chief weapon, right? He, it's FWDs. It's what I call them. That's his weapons of mass destruction. Fear, worry, doubt. FWD. Watch him. He'll just take a little thing and then he'll roll it right in your life. Oh, yeah, I got them. Watch that. They're going to worry. They're going to fear. They're going to doubt. Yeah, I got them. That's what the enemy wants to do. You disarm him when you come to God in a spirit of thankfulness and you start thanking him for everything he has done. You disarm the enemy. That's so good. Man, you guys, whew, that is good right there. <laughs> That's why the very next thing in this verse that Paul says in verse 7, he says, then you'll experience God's peace. Right after being thankful, right? Then you'll experience God's peace. You want to, be, you want to experience God's peace? Then be thankful. Be thankful. And that peace exceeds anything that you can understand. Right? Because he can do immeasurably more than you can ever ask or think. So tell God what you need. Thank him for all he has done. And you will experience his peace. That is a promise right there. And that peace will guard your hearts and minds. It will guard you. It's like, it's like putting on the breastplate of righteousness. It's like holding the shield of faith. Man, we could go into Ephesians 6. And just start talking about the whole armor of God. Some of y'all just walk out of the house without putting your armor on. Put your armor on. Ephesians 6. Look it up. I don't have time to go there today. But I could. So stand firm in the Lord. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. To experience the joy of standing firm. Paul says we are to first settle our disagreements. We are to rejoice in the Lord. We are to be gentle. And we are to pray about everything. So let's pick back up on our text in verse 8 and let's see what Paul tells us next. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So to experience the joy of standing firm, we must fix our thoughts. Many of the battles that we face in life take place right here. They take place in the mind. Fear, worry, doubt, jealousy, envy, lust, anger, unforgiveness, temptations. Those are all battles for the mind. Paul reminds us here what we should be thinking about. Think about what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. You know, Jesus is all these things and more. That's where our focus must be is on Jesus if you want to stand firm in the Lord, then we need to keep our thoughts centered on Jesus. And I know that's easier said than done when the storms of life are raging in your life. I understand that. I've been there. I've walked those shoes. But God is faithful. The only way that you can experience peace and the only way that you can find the strength to stand firm is from Jesus. There is nothing in this world that has the power to overcome. And listen. Satan will do everything he can to make sure that your mind dwells on the opposite of what Paul is telling us here. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. We are to meditate on these things. And now we come to the final verse in our study. Philippians 4.9. Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice 
and the God of peace will be with you. So now Paul calls us to action. He says to put into practice all you have learned, all you saw and heard in him. It's not enough to hear it. Listen, church, it's not enough to hear. Now we need to do. Okay, this reminds me of what James says in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? You will obey me. There's action. We've got to take action. We have to live out our faith. Listen, we have a choice every day. We can either stand firm or we can stand down. I want all of you to choose to stand firm and do it in the Lord. We are citizens of heaven. And what God starts, he will finish. Therefore, stand firm in the Lord. And Paul gave us some very practical ways in which we can live that out. We, can, we need to settle disagreements. We need to rejoice in the Lord. We need to be gentle. Pray about everything. Fix your thoughts. And ultimately, put all that into practice. So listen. Don't be a jellyfish. Have a spiritual backbone. And stand firm in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your almighty grace. We thank you, Lord, that yet, even though we are sinners, we know you love us and you died for us and you made a way. You provided a way. And so if you're here today, you've heard this message and you realize, you know what? I have not been standing firm. I've been like that jellyfish. I've been kind of just floating around. And I haven't really taken a firm stand. If that's you and you're ready to take a stand firm or recommit your life and say, Jesus, I'm going to stand firm for you. If that's you, slip up your hand and I will pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, goodness. A lot of hands. All right, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these hands that have slipped up. And I pray, Jesus, that you would fill them with your spirit. Anoint them with the power to walk out of here and put into practice everything that you say in your word. Give us the strength to stand firm in you no matter what we face, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would encourage us and to walk out our faith that way. And as you keep praying today, others of you may be here and you're like, you know what? I've never made that stand for Jesus. I've never invited Jesus into my heart and I want to do that. I've heard the gospel today and I realize that Jesus died for my sins and I want to raise my hand today and say, yes, Jesus, I want you. If that is you and you want to make that commitment today, slip up your hand and I will pray for you. Anyone want to make that decision? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else want to say, I'm going to stand for you, Jesus. Thank you. Okay. Since you've made that profession of faith, say this prayer with me. Lord, I realize I am a sinner and I can't get through this life on my own. I need you. Lord, would you come into my life? Your word tells me that if I say and profess with my mouth that you are Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead on that third day, then I will be saved. It's what the word says. And if that's you and you've made that profession of faith, welcome to the kingdom of God. God will honor that. And he will come into your life and you will be brand new. The word says that therefore anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. You're going to walk out of here brand new and God's going to do a work in you. And I thank you for your faith to make that commitment today. Lord God, I pray that you'd help all of us to stand firm in you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And if you will stand firm for our closing song.